Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 86, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. A superintendent is charged with multiple felonies after using her son's health insurance to provide care for a student and Remind and Verizon work out their differences. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, could school districts save millions of dollars using open education resources? We have an expert that says yes. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how are you doing? I'm great. Russ has the uh, evening off. You walked in just a few minutes ago, and I said, how are you doing? And you were like, I'm uh. kind of, <laughs> you were like kind of under the weather, maybe sick or whatever. Yeah. So it started making me think, like, I would argue that teachers it's are more likely to be in the danger zone of sickness than even nurses. Yeah. I mean, because like nurses have like the opportunity to wash their hands after every person they visit. But a teacher, you're just like surrounded by germs. And here we are in flu season and it's it's yes, going like and crazy. It's going flu and strep. Like what, do you, what do you do? And like, the stomach bug. Do you just like roll the dice and you're like, if I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it? Or do you like run into the bathroom more this time of year and wash your hands real quick? Or do you keep like... Well, I use hand sanitizer all the time and I use Clorox wipes on the tables all the time. And I even wipe down the pencils and the doorknobs. Yeah, that's right. But I, you know, every single child goes through my classroom. I would just be spraying Lysol. Like, can you do that? I guess it kind of stank, but... Yeah. I mean, I do... I, I am on high alert and constantly am looking for a child that seems lethargic or is not their normal self and send them to the nurse right away because... A lot of times, you know, they they maybe tell their parents, I don't feel good, but the parents are like, it's okay, you just need to eat something and then go on to school. And then it turns out they, they actually have the stomach bug and they're spreading it like crazy. It's it's definitely a doomsday feeling when you know that like four kids just went home with the stomach oh, yeah. bug and they just left your class and you're right. like, oh gosh. Exactly. Yeah, did I touch <laughs> yeah. them? Yeah. Did I pick oh, yeah. up their paper? Oh yeah. Or even clean up their workspace? I know this is so gross, but I'm sure teachers will agree. You can smell strep. You can smell it. I did not know that. Well, I think any teacher of small children knows what I'm talking about, but there's a distinct smell of strep throat. It has this Like, I've heard about odor. animals smelling illnesses. No, you but... can smell it in their breath almost. You know wow. what I mean? And so today a student came to talk to me about her artwork, and I smelled the smell, and I was like, oh, and I said, do you feel okay? And she was like, <laughs> oh, yes, ma'am, I got a cough drop. And, and so she already knew she had a sore throat. And I was like, well, look now, if you don't feel good this evening, you need to tell your mom. <laughs> like, but I mean, I know. Yeah, like, but you, you weren't going to be strep. like, you smell like strep. Right. Like I you can't. can't. No, no, well, I you mean, can't. can you legally? Can you like, or would you uh, get in trouble, I guess, with the I principal? Think, yeah, no, I, I think that if they're not running a fever, which she, you know, she probably is by now. Yeah. I, I guarantee you I could check tomorrow and see if she's there and I'm, let I'm you curious. know. <laughs> I'm curious about this one. Stay healthy. And let's go ahead and jump into the uh, teacher's lounge. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this is just quite a perplexing story to me. So there's a superintendent in Indiana that 
has been charged with three felonies and a misdemeanor. Um, so I'm sure you're like, what? What did she do? Oh, my gosh. This right. is terrible. Superintendent. Right. Yeah. Superintendent. Mm-hmm. Her name is Casey Smitherman. But she's charged for not what you think. She is um, has been more of a mentor and provider for this child. She's helped him with clothing over the years and paying fees and things that, that he, you know, she's helped out in many ways, bringing food to his house. And she checked on him. She knew that she heard that he wasn't at school, so she checked on him. And she could tell, incidentally, that he had strep throat. She could smell it. <laughs> Maybe she could smell it, right. yeah. And so she um, took him to a clinic and was rejected because he did not have insurance. Mm-hmm. So then she went to another clinic and just kind of said he was her son, kind of, or maybe didn't, just kind of in an indirect way. I mean, you got to fill out a lot yeah, of paperwork. Yeah, she signed him in under her yeah. child's name, okay? Right. And then they, um, and then even went to a pharmacy and got a prescription fulfilled of amoxicillin for strep um, for the for the boy and under dropped her under son's her name. son's name. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then uh, went and dropped him at home with it. And somebody tipped off the authorities. And mm. then she was questioned. She was super cooperative right. with law. Um, but she was booked and then released on bail. Right. So she, um, was, she was charged with this. Uh-huh. I guess then, it's fraud of some type. I mean, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Um, and he had ripped off the the label to his to the bottle where it said her son's name. Uh, um, and he said he did that because he knew that he could be in trouble for having a bottle with someone else's name on it. That yeah. he knew in the drug world, that's not okay. Right. Um, but it's it's not like this is like the only time she's ever reached out to help this family. Right. But anyway. Um, so, so it sounds to me like we have the superintendent who has a big heart, was trying to help uh-huh. out the student, but she broke the law in the process. She did. She did. Um, so, I mean, this is kind of where you, you feel like, I guess, a district attorney would, like, drop the charges. I don't know. I mean, it, you don't want to have the practice of, it's like, oh, well, you had good intentions, so no charges. I mean, you still right. the law. I well, don't know what to do I here. think the DA was saying, you know, we can't send a message to this young child yeah. that it's okay to forge somebody's name or especially when applying for drugs, you know. So, but I will say that the the school board came out in, in support of her. Um, the community has come out in support of her. Apparently, she, when she ran for superintendent, ran on a platform of, I'm part of this community, I'm going to help this community from the bottom up, you know, mm-hmm. I'm invest- invested. Um, and so, you know, she said, look, I understand what I did was wrong. I, at the time, I didn't really think of it that way. I think it was around $300, um, you know, basically that by the time you count the medical visit and then the prescription, right? that, you know, she was, so basically she was like, you know, I, and I didn't realize that I couldn't, use that you know use that for him i didn't realize i wasn't viewing it as breaking the law i was just trying to get him help and i did try to take him to a clinic and they rejected him and then yeah i knew he was sick and i knew how bad strep can get if it's not treated and right so she was like i just wanted to help i mean this exposes so many areas one healthcare in this country i I mean here you have a child who needs needs care and Mm -hmm. can't get it um so well i know that uh 
DHS has been contacted right. also now because of this, because they feel like maybe there's some financial need um, there to be able to see to the medical attention of the children. So, Yeah, I, I'm looking through the story now, and it looks like her, her board is standing by her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. Um, and I imagine the people in the community will stand by her. I mean, if you're going to vote for a, a superintendent, for those that don't know, there are lots of places in the country that still have elected superintendents. You know, you mm-hmm. want somebody who believes in fighting for the kids and, and their best interests. So mm-hmm. I think she checks that box. Um, but I also see it looks like they have the prosecutor has agreed to a diversion program. And for those who don't know what that is, I think that's one of these programs where basically you do community service mm-hmm. and then you don't break the rules for the next year or two years or whatever. Everything like comes off your record completely. Right. So she won't be a convicted felon right. if she follows through. Which was, it was three felonies and a misdemeanor. Wow. Um, so yeah, no. And then and it, they, the school board has said she will not lose her job. Um, but you know, this is obviously on a large scale as a superintendent. It's kind of like, whoa. But you hear of teachers and coaches all the time, all the time yeah. that cross the line to help children as far as even giving them a ride home. Yeah. You know, legally, They're that's a very that. dangerous yeah. thing. And, you know, and if you were to get in any kind of car accident or anything, you're 100% responsible. Right. Yeah, that child didn't have a ride home. Right. You and you cannot leave. Right. right. You cannot leave a child at right. a school, you know. So so this happens, th- th- like, on all different levels. You know, this is different because she really did go to a clinic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she she did use her son's name. But there's so many times in the school setting and with coaches, with extracurricular activities, where the lines are really blurred because you're just trying to help the kid. Like, it is what it is. You're looking at a child right. that needs help. Right. And and it looks like this student actually had just a guardian, apparently, mm-hmm. according to the That's article. Right. So, you know, she, obviously has, she clearly knew that he was in a tough spot. Oh, yes. And she know? has, there's, it's been documented that she has aided this fam, him, she has aided yeah. him um, before with various things. Wow. Well, yeah, again, um, Hopefully she hangs in there, does her diversion program, doesn't do it again. But, you know, I also got to say kudos to her, you know, yeah. for looking out for the best interest uh, in the child. Hey, remember um, we were talking about Verizon? I think it was two shows back. And any teacher probably knows about this, Verizon and Remind and the fact that they were kind of at war because Verizon was going to charge 25 cents a text with when they use Remind. And it just teachers were panicking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it looks like Verizon has backed down. And they are now going to allow Remind to send the text without charge. Um, so kind of a happy ending there. Um, there is a little bit more to the story. It kind of was a two-stage of a reversal. Um, apparently, Verizon first said, all right, we're no longer going to require the fee for the non-paying Remind users that are in K-12 through education. But that only fixed half the problem because that excluded uh, daycares, um, say coaches who may right. not be involved in the school district um, and just any, you know, churches, whoever else might use Remind. Right. Um, so there still was kind of this outcry and it was supposed to flip. Uh, this is the 30th that we're recording this episode on the 29th and, and it looks like it's not going to be an issue. What's the reaction? Like, is this like a talking water cooler subject at your school? Yeah. 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 They're all like, oh, hey, look, you know, they were sharing it on Facebook, friends, you know, teacher friends of mine. Yeah, it's a big deal. Because it, you know, jacks up what they're used to doing. And so right. if you use that to blast out to all of the people involved in your class, and now you know that it's not going to go to everyone, 
then that's frustrating. You know, that's then you you know you it's not it's not going to work. <laughs> right. I guess if I have any concern now, kind of hearing this, and I'm, I'm speaking a little out of turn because I don't know the fine details here, but it sounds like Verizon is working with Remind, but kind of being a person who believes in you know companies having level playing fields, I hope that Verizon would work with any company that you know, has good faith and it has a good mission, you mm-hmm. know, and they aren't just working with Remind because of the outcry and the backlash that they might receive. Because mm-hmm. then what you end up with is an unlevel playing field. There might be another technology that needs to use this texting service and, and it could be an issue in the future. So I'll be curious to see how that one plays out. Oh, and I want to share one other thing with you that I um, saw online. This one I found on Reddit. Um, it was actually just through like a, a small blog where somebody was, you know, we always are trying to share good ideas and stuff. And this seems so simple. And tell me if you've seen this before. A bus driver keeps a bucket of books at the front of the bus. So when the kids get on, it's basically like a mini library. And the students can just grab three books each and they can read them while they're on the ride and then when the ride's over, they just drop the books off back in the bucket. Huh. It's like the simplest thing in the world. Yeah. You know? Have you ever heard of a bus no. driver doing this? No. And the bus driver's like, it keeps the students more calm. Now, I imagine when you start getting middle school and high school, they all got their cell phones out. They're probably right. not wanting to read books. But uh, when you're dealing with the elementary kids, like, this makes sense. It's going to keep them yeah, calm. Yeah, and the older students could read to the younger students. How cute. That would be cute. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, we're, we're all about kind of sharing ideas that maybe um, are taking place in one community and then kind of trying to get it out to all of our listeners across the country and the world. So uh, easy solution, a bucket and books. You've got a library on a bus. Are you ready for the bright idea? Yeah. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is the Director of Open Education with Creative Commons. Dr. Cable Green has over 20 years of experience in academic technology and online learning and holds a PhD in educational psychology, and he's the leading advocate for open licensing policies. Uh, Dr. Cable Green, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, A few episodes back in our show, we uh, briefly touched on the idea of open textbooks. And so I scoured the internet and I wanted to find one of the leading experts in open textbooks, and that is you. You you are the guy who apparently is helping spread the word and, and, and kind of ease open textbooks all around the world and then uh, college education as well as K through 12. Why has this been so important to you? Open textbooks are um, kind of part of a larger movement called Open, Ep- open Educational Resources. And, uh, and that's part of a larger movement called Open Education. So let's start from the top. We'll work our way down to open textbooks. Um, open education is the idea that, uh, that everybody in the world should have access to high quality educational resources and learning opportunities. And so uh, there's a global movement, has been for about 15 years, uh, to, uh, to do what teachers already do, and that is to share knowledge. Uh, and what we're able to do with, with open education is to share uh, more completely and with more people for less money all around the world. And the main reason for that is really because of three things. One is uh, the educational resources we use uh, and have used for the last decade um, are born digital. Of course, we still use print, but digital is interesting because when things are digital, you can store, distribute, and copy them for near zero cost. The second thing that happened was the internet, so we can move all this digital stuff around the world at near speeds of light. And the third thing that happened was uh, was open licensing, which I'm sure we'll we'll chat about later. So because of those three things, all of a sudden, uh, educators, teachers, professors around the world started to ask questions like, 
well, how do I share my content? Uh, it's, it's copyrighted, it's digital, uh, but is there a way to easily share it around the world? So when something is, uh, when a piece of content, education content is both freely available and it has uh, the legal rights on it that lets people not only use it for free, but make copies, modify it, change it, share it with others. Uh, we call that an open license. Uh, when it's got both those things, free and the legal rights to modify, we call that an open educational resource. Open textbooks are one of many types of open educational resources. I watched you give a presentation a few years back and specifically to open textbooks in the K through 12 environment. You got a little fired up at one point because you were talking about uh, your home state uh, that you're currently in right now over Washington and, and the amount of money that the state was spending on textbooks. My state is tiny, big landmass, but tiny amount of people. We only have one million public school kids. And yet we spend $130 million a year on textbooks. So you would think for $130 million for a million kids, I get some pretty good stuff, right? Fact is, I don't. Here's what we get. And I've got two kids in public school, and so this pisses me off. I get a little angry when I go to PTA meetings about this. Right, so our books are seven to 10 years out of date. Is it okay that you're giving young minds educational resources that are seven to 10 years out of date? I mean, political science. When we were at the public hearing, one of the legislators said, uh, here's my daughter's political science textbook. The copyright date on it was 1998. Has anything happened in politics or you know, geopolitical anything since 1998? A few things. You're right. I do get a little fired up on these topics because I, uh, mostly I get irritated, uh, is a nice way to put it, when I see public money being spent poorly. Um, there are, to, to give you a sense of how much money we spend uh, as, a, as a nation, the United States, just in K-12, spends somewhere between 6 and $9 billion, so that's billion with a B, uh, a year on uh, textbooks and other curriculum. The number in my state, I live in Washington state, uh, we spend right around $130 million a year. And so you think, well, that's quite a bit of money. But for that money, we get pretty terrible results. So on average, our books are seven to 10 years out of date. Uh, they're paper only. Uh, we don't have any digital uh, versions for the most part of our resources. Um, the students can't write or highlight in the books. So all the study skills that we want um, students to be able to use, they're, they're not allowed to. And because, of course, we have to keep the books for 10 years, so we have to keep them as nice as possible. Uh, the students can't keep the books at the end of the year. So... You know, congratulations on finishing sixth grade math. We're not going to take all your math resources away from you. And right. good luck in seventh grade. We hope you memorized it. Um, the books are all rights reserved copyright. So even if the teachers have something innovative or creative that they'd like to, to add to the book, or maybe the book's out of date and needs to be updated, um, we don't have the legal rights to do that. And the thing that gets me particularly irritated is um, that most school districts around the United States if the student loses the book, the parents are on the hook to purchase a new one, and that can be well over $100 per book to replace those. And oftentimes, students aren't allowed to graduate um, until they um, until they replace those books uh, or you know get other other benefits at school. And and of course, if you are a family that doesn't have very much money, so for example, in my state, uh, we have a lot of migrant families that come through that are uh, picking. Uh, apples and you know other fruit we have in Washington State, and I've been in uh, orientation meetings where I've heard these parents say to their kids, um, "You cannot take your books from home to school and back uh, to do homework. So um, you need to make friends with somebody who has enough money that you know they can replace a book because wow. we don't. And so we're you know for the privilege of spending 130 million dollars a year, those are the kinds of results we get. 
And it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, we can do it uh, with open educational resources for a lot less money and get much better results. Now, it, it seems to me like a lot of your work, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you're you're trying to go around the world even and, and try to you know bring these resources, these open resources, to say Africa or or even universities in the United States or universities all over the world. Um, have you been able to see much of a difference in K through 12? Yes and yes. So you are correct that this is a global movement and it's um, it's a multi-directional sharing that's going on, which is the way it should be. So um, certainly works that are created in the United States are being shared around the world and vice versa. Uh, as far as growth, yes, in the United States, uh, K-12 open education resources growth has been uh, accelerating in the past few years. And that's for uh, a couple of reasons. One is K-12 was quite a bit behind higher education uh, in talking about uh, OER and open textbooks and and other aspects of open education, um, and they're now catching up fast. Um, the main reason for that is that the lack of awareness was just really low. People didn't know about it. Um, another thing that's happening is there are uh, several and have been several really excellent uh, K-12 OER projects out there. When I say OER, I, I mean open educational resources. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, CK-12 uh, has been a, a project that's been around for a long time. Where uh, and, and I should say all these projects I'm about to list here have Creative Commons licenses on them, which we can talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this means that they're freely available and you can modify them. So CK12 um, is kind of like high school STEM curriculum. OER Commons has been a, a fabulous resource for K12 for, uh, for over a decade. It's both a repository and also um, a set of, uh, it's an online community and a set of professional development activities for K12 teachers. Um, Open Up Resources is a fairly new nonprofit that was set up really to uh, build math and ELA curriculum aligned to Common Core state standards. And what's interesting about these guys is everything that they're building has a, a Creative Commons attribution license on it, um, and they're they're giving um, this this uh, state of the art updated curriculum away. Uh, to school districts. So, um, and then of course there was kind of the big one was uh, a project called Engage New York, uh, which uh, came out of New York State. This was, uh, uh, they took some race to the top money, about $40 million um, and built OER for for K-12. And it's been so popular. Uh, there was actually a, a RAND report that just came out talking about the percentage of school districts across the country that have adopted uh, just that curriculum. And uh, so not only are we seeing just increased OER use because of all of those types of activities, um, but along with that use, awareness raising comes up. And if you are a school board or a principal or a teacher or superintendent, it's not rocket science to start to ask, you know, why aren't we doing this? And more and more districts are are jumping in. And I imagine saving a ton of money, right? Yeah, saving a lot of ton ton of money and then also using their, um, they're rebudgeting that money. So um, I used to spend, you know, half a million dollars on textbooks. Uh, now I spend uh, maybe 100000 because I want to print a lot of this OER for my students and then provide the digital copies for free. Maybe I'm going to take that other 400000 and uh, buy everybody a laptop or a tablet. When you talk about Creative Commons license, I'm going to try to explain it and then you tell me how bad I messed it up. But it's, it's essentially the nonprofit that you work for and you guys um, have already designed or, or looked through it from an attorney standpoint to where you can just kind of slap this copyright on, whether it be a YouTube video or a book or whatever. And and now it's open and protected to the appropriate degree. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty close. So anytime um, anybody creates anything, really, a a creative work. So the moment that I 
I type some text, the moment I take a picture, the moment I shoot a digital video, all of those all of those objects, all those all those works are automatically protected by copyright law. And there are copyright international treaties which uh, allow your copyright to be protected in other countries. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it protects your rights so nobody else can copy or distribute or perform the work or modify it without your permission. Um, and that's what stops you and you and me from uh, taking, you know, a Harry Potter book and making copies and selling it in our driveway. It's that's a violation of copyright. Um, so that's fine for people that don't want to share. Uh, but in education, sharing is sort of the whole point. Uh, we are in the business of sharing knowledge. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And so um, educators around the world for the last fifteen years have said, um, "How can I keep my copyright? How do I keep my ownership?" And at the same time, give everybody in the world a license or a set of legal rights to use my work under the terms and conditions that I choose. And so Creative Commons is a a global nonprofit. As you said, we build the open licenses that the world uses to share copyrighted works. And not just educational resources, but um, uh, images from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So we just worked with the Met in New York City, and they released 500,000 high-res images into the public domain using our public domain dedication. Um, there are there's music online that has CC licenses um, that you can use to remix other people's music. There are documentary films and other movies that have CC licenses. So whenever you see a Creative Commons license, and there are about 1.2 ish billion CC licenses on the web that at least Google can see right now. We think there are a lot more than that. Um, when you see one of those, what you know is two things: one is I can use it for free, and two is I can legally use it, and I'm not violating copyright. Nobody's going to sue me. And as long as I follow the terms of the license, I'm good to go. In one of your speeches, you started to mention um, a success story out of Poland. So in the United States, uh, the states or the school districts buy the textbooks and other curricular materials, and then then the list that I went through before is what happens, right? We buy them, we keep them for 10 years, Mm -hmm. we take them away from kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but every kid gets a book, um, it might be old and out of date, et cetera, but you get one, uh, in Poland, the standard is that the parents of the school children have to buy the books. And so if you are somebody that has plenty of money, this is not an issue. Uh, if you're a family in Poland that doesn't have a lot of money, uh, then it's a huge problem, uh, because the books are expensive. And so, uh, roughly 50% of the children in Poland didn't have access to all the educational resources they needed to be successful students. And so, of course, that was that's not okay. And uh, Creative Commons has a team in Poland. One of our uh, chapters is there in Warsaw. And, uh, and they worked with the president's office as part of another digital initiative in the country and put out a really small amount of money, uh, roughly the equivalent of 11 million U.S. dollars. And, you know, when you're talking about a national government budget, that's a right. tiny drop even for you know, Poland. And uh, they were able to uh, put that money out and build Creative Commons attribution licensed textbooks. And because they had a, the CC license on them, they were freely available, n- not just to half the kids in Poland, but to everybody. So for you know real small amounts of money, these are these are problems that can be solved. If somebody's listening, and if let's first let's say if they're a teacher or or even maybe a school board member or a superintendent, where do you start? Sure. So so step one is really awareness raising. 
Um, and if you want to see a really nice model, I'll uh, brag a little bit and point to my home state. Uh, if your listeners go to uh, their favorite search engine and type in Washington State K-12 OER, uh, the first hit should be the the, um, the office of superintendent has an OER unit. Uh, the woman that runs it, her name's Barbara Suits. I know she'd be happy to talk with uh, any of your listeners that wanted to learn more about this. But uh, they took this in two phases. So phase one was awareness raising. Um, we knew that across the state of Washington, uh, that most school boards, uh, superintendents, curriculum directors, principals, and teachers uh, didn't know what OER was. They've never heard of Creative Commons licensing. Um, they didn't know that this was even a thing. And so the first step really is to raise awareness. You can't, you can't really engage in this conversation. You can't launch big projects. You can't start to talk about shifting money to fund open instead of closed content until people know what this is and what the opportunities are, why it's important, and what they can do next. So, so that's step one. And we, we took a whole year in the state just doing that, making sure that everybody had the opportunity to, to learn. Um, then the next step is to uh, start to find leaders. Uh, so in Washington State, um, you know, there were uh, grants that were provided to school districts that wanted to start to shift some of their curriculum, or in some cases all of their curriculum, to, to OER. And then we provided some, or not we, uh, the state of Washington provided some, uh, some support in, in the form of grants for them to do that. Um, and it's not just Washington State that's doing this. Uh, there's some fabulous uh, K-12 efforts in New York, in Louisiana, uh, and in many other states as well. The, the biggest challenge, though, I would say, is that this is a real cultural shift, right? We, um, in K-12, um, and this is true in higher education as well, when we think about educational resources today, we think about them um, as if they are scarce, right? We think we, we, we have existed in this culture of scarcity mm-hmm. for a long time. And that was true when things were all printed, and it was true before the internet, and it was true before uh, open licensing. It's not true anymore. Today, we can, yes, spend a lot of money to build a great resource, yes, spend a lot of money to maintain that resource, but once it's built, we can make a million or a billion copies of it for near zero cost, and we can share it with everybody on the planet. And translating it into different languages doesn't cost that much. Modifying it for local use doesn't take that much time. Um, and so that's shifting from a culture of scarcity and thinking about resources in, a, in that way to shifting to thinking about them in terms of abundance. And so how, you know, to, to start to talk with districts and ask them questions like, you know, if you had, um, if it was possible for every one of your kids, teachers, their parents, and anybody else who wanted to have a copy of their educational resources um, to keep those forever, that those resources would continuously be updated, that they would be pulled from the best content from around the world, that they would be standards aligned, um, and that uh, your local district would have the legal rights and the technical ability to modify them and tweak them uh, not to mess up the standards alignment, but to provide local examples because maybe you live in Seattle instead of Spokane and there's uh, you want to talk about salmon instead of mountain goats. Right. Um, you know, that, that's a very exciting proposition. And then to find out that you can do all that for less money than you're spending now uh, is what gets people excited. Well, uh, again, Dr. Uh, Cable Green, the director of Open oh. Education with Creative Commons, we really appreciate you uh, enlightening us on this. And, and hopefully some folks will be able to take this information and, and run with it. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Are you ready for the uh, pop quiz? 
I certainly am. All right, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oof, one subject. Um, I would say... Uh, in, <laughs> this is a bit of a cop-out, but I would say interdisciplinary studies because I believe that all of the world's complex problems uh, actually require a systems-level approach and not one discipline alone. Well, it's the first time we've had that answer, so I don't know if it's a cop-out. The uh, next question is, what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Uh, this. We should be teaching sharing in school. Uh, in fact, we're about to launch our CC certificates, and one of the things I want to do with these, uh, they're, of course, all OER and freely available. Um, I want to remix these and put them in schools of education so the next generation of teachers that come out um, understand sharing and why it's important so that we, um, we start to share more with each other. What does every child deserve? Well, in the context of education, I think every child deserves um, uh, access to the very best current information and knowledge that society has produced. And that means that all of the content needs to be openly licensed, and it means all of the research needs to be open access. Uh, and I'd also say that every child deserves um, the, the joining the best uh, learning communities and having access to the best instruction with teachers that are using state-of-the-art open pedagogical practices. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? I would limit, I'm going to limit my answer to public educators, if that's okay. Um, I, I, as I travel the world, I continue to see not only the United States government, but other governments as well, pulling back from their investments in public education. And um, so what we're missing is resources. Uh, so we're missing real money and real time resources. And that needs to be turned around because the single most important investment that any government can put into its citizenry is a strong public education system. What's the best gift to give an educator? The best gift? Uh, I Let's say teaching them about open education. What teacher changed your life? You know, the teacher that changed my life, uh, probably my fifth grade math teacher. Uh, she had uh, multiplication drills on the board, and it, she turned uh, learning math into a uh, competition. And uh, I'm a fairly type A competitive person, and I wanted to, uh, to win. Uh, and she kind of tricked me into making learning fun, and I always, uh, always thank her for that. And last question, pen or pencil? Oh, I always have a pen. All right. Again, uh, Dr. Green, we really appreciate your time and, and all your knowledge on the subject, and uh, kudos to you and all the great work you're doing and, and just spreading information around the world. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortega. Go, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.